All right, open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Timothy, the New Testament book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. And while we're turning, we'll dismiss all the children up to age 8. If you'd like to go to Children's Church, you're welcome to go. <clears throat> we certainly appreciate all of our faithful workers, and you're welcome to stay with your family, of course, but uh, up through age 8. And if you'll keep that Bible open to 1 Timothy Chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We do appreciate you being here today. We trust the service has already been a ministry and a blessing. I believe the Lord's been honored, amen, here this morning. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord. We appreciate you being here. You have your Bibles open to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's have prayer and then we'll read some of the Word of God this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, as we just sang, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will open up our hearts to the Word of God and open up the Word of God to our hearts. And even as we read a portion of your Word, may the Holy Spirit minister to our hearts with it. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible open, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'll start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still, <clears throat> excuse me, at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity or love out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and the faith unfeigned from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good <clears throat> if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, <clears throat> but for the lawless and for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, <clears throat> for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stillers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine or teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, <clears throat> which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause <clears throat> I obtain mercy, 
that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, the life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You'll notice in verse 18, the very last few words of verse 18, a good warfare, a good warfare. Or we could say the good warfare. The books of First and Second Timothy and Titus Those three epistles or three letters or three books of the New Testament have often been referred to as the pastoral epistles. The reason they're called that is because in those three books especially, instructions are given to two young preachers. One happens to be by the name of Tim, Timothy. We have a Timothy here today. And the other by the name of Titus. And uh, as the, the apostles were passing off the scene, God knew that we would need some kind of God divine revelation instructions about the local church and so forth, at least some principles and guidelines to go by. And we believe, and there's instructions in other books of the Bible, of course, but especially First and Second Timothy and Titus were given to these young men on organizing the church and so forth. As a matter of fact, the key verse, I believe, if you'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, as he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he says, I'm hoping that I'll be able to visit you in person, but in the meantime, I feel led of the Holy Spirit to write you. I'm glad God led him to write these things. And I'm glad God has preserved them. And we can open up our Bibles today and find some of God's instructions here. Amen? And so we keep reading. He says, I'm writing to you, chapter 3, verse 14, hoping to come to visit shortly. Verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. The word behave there means to conduct thyself and to conduct the affairs of the church, that you may know how to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. Now, I ask the question today, what is the purpose of the local church? What is the main purpose of Valley Baptist Church this morning? And Paul answers that for Timothy, for Titus, and for you and me this morning. First of all, we know the purpose of the church is not to be a social club. And unfortunately, and 
God knows my heart when I say this. That's what a lot of churches have become. They're just a social club. Now, thank God for good fellowship. Thank God that we can come together and fellowship in the Lord and around the things of God. But if the world has enough social clubs, we don't need any more social clubs. Amen? The church is not a political entity. Now, we ought to do everything we can to pray for our country and pray for our leaders and encourage godly people to get registered to vote and, and get involved in politics. If the godly don't get involved, then the ungodly. There's nobody left but the ungodly. And, and so we do. We, we love our nation and we want to promote godliness and holiness. Well, then what is the purpose of the church? Well, Paul reminds us here in chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16, especially at the end of verse 15, that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen? You know, the bottom line, the purpose of the church is to be a launching pad of the truth of God. Amen? To keep confronting this world with the truth of God, beginning with the gospel, of course, and the whole counsel of God. Now, you know, in Paul's day and Timothy's day and Titus's day, they certainly were not serving God in a Christian nation, were they? <laughs> they were certainly not serving God in a Christian society or even a society that was influenced by the principles of God's Word. And many of us have had the privilege of growing up in a nation and a country that has been so influenced by the principles and teachings of the Word of God because our, our country was founded upon them. Even the unsaved realize that to have the kind of nation that we had in form of government that we have, it has to be built upon principles of decency and honesty and morality, and you find them in the teachings of the Word of God, Judeo and Christian ethics, and the teachings of Jesus Christ, amen. And when that foundation's gone, <laughs> it, things are going to begin to crumble. Now we're living, in, and I, I guess I'm having a hard time because... We've grown up in some of the best times America's ever had, but I guess we're just going to have to be honest about it. <clears throat> we're living in what many are calling a post-Christian society now. Post-Christian society. And it's not as easy to confront our culture and our society with the truth of God as perhaps it used to be, amen? Whether it's even in the church anymore, whether it's in our neighborhood or the workplace, or the capital of the nation. It's just we're finding out that, and that's why if you'll go back to chapter 1 with me and verse 18, Paul was telling Timothy, hey, we're in a warfare. We're at war. It's a spiritual warfare. And it's not just a warfare. It's the warfare. It's the most important warfare that's taking place on this planet today. It's a spiritual warfare. Now, we need to be reminded of what God led Paul to say in Ephesians chapter 6 when he gave us instructions on putting on the gospel armor. He reminded us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 that it's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against. Now, God works through people and the devil works through people. But we have to keep in mind that it's not flesh and blood that we're really warring against, but it's the world of darkness. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's Satan and demonic. It's demonic powers. It's a spiritual warfare, amen? And the good fight of faith is standing for the truth. 
And the warfare that God's challenging Timothy with here in, through Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1 is standing for the truth. Standing for the truth. Some of us were discussing this week, how do we confront one another? How, first of all, how do we confront ourselves with the truth of God sometimes? I, I wish I didn't have my old rebellious sin nature, but I still have it. And you know, sometimes I find myself wanting to resist the truth of God, don't you? How do we confront our own family members with the truth of God? How do we confront one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? <laughs> I mean, boy, we haven't even got out into the world yet, have we really? And how with all the issues and things going on today, how do we confront? And it's a, we find out, hey, it's a spiritual struggle, isn't it? It's a spiritual battle. And so Paul reminds us, first of all, we need to be reminded, and I need to be reminded of this from time to time, what's our purpose? What's our purpose for being in existence today as a church? And we're pillars and ground of the truth, amen? And aren't you glad we have the truth? We have the truth of God and we're to constantly be confronting ourselves and one another with the truth of God. Now, I thought about how that uh, we've had, it seems like we've had some families in our church recently that have gone through some very, very serious health issues. And usually what happens is, you first of all, there are certain symptoms, right? That, uh-oh, you know, maybe you look at these symptoms and, it may be I'm having a serious health issue here. So you don't know, maybe not. So you go have a diagnosis done, right? Maybe uh, some blood work done or some x-rays or, or CAT scans or MRIs. And if the diagnosis is correct, then you find out, yes, there's a problem. So then hopefully there's a cure for it. There's a medicine or a procedure that can be taken or performed that will take care of the problem. And then if the diagnosis is correct and the cure is correct, then hallelujah, you have some beautiful results. Amen. And praise the Lord for that and all. Well, I thought about that and I thought, you know, from a spiritual standpoint, that's exactly what you have here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. As Paul is challenging Timothy, in his day and age, and believe me, he was not in a Christian-friendly society, was he? And yet, as that first generation of Christians, they were to be pillars and grounds of the truth of God and confront one another and the society. Can you imagine the wickedness that was in Ephesus where Timothy was? Boy, we don't have time to get into all that background. And all the wickedness and sin that was in Rome and Corinth <laughs> I mean, we think it's bad in America, and it is. This world hasn't changed. And yet we've got exactly what the world needs. We've got the truth of God, haven't we? Well, first of all, what's the diagnosis? Well, look what Paul says. By the way, he says we're in a warfare. He mentions uh, in verse 3, he says, Timothy, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I, Paul, was going on into Macedonia for this reason, verse 3, that you might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now the word doctrine there is teaching. And that word charge there is a military term. Paul said, under the authority of God, Timothy, I charge you under God that you teach 
that, that nothing be taught other than the truth of God. Amen. No other doctrine. No other teaching. He mentions over in verse, uh, in verse 18 again. He says, Tim, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And we believe by the faith there, he's talking about our faith, the body of truth, what we believe, what we believe. And then if you'll look at the end of verse 10 of chapter 1, he mentions anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. That means good, healthy Bible teaching, amen? Good, healthy Bible. So you see the emphasis here is on the truth of God. That is a local church, our, and beginning with the gospel, of course, to a lost world, our very purpose for existence is to be a pillar and a ground for the truth of God. And if we forsake the truth of God, we have no reason for existence, do we? As a matter of fact, we can call ourselves a church, but we're doing more harm than good, amen, in the society in which we find ourselves existing. All right, what's the diagnosis, all right? Look what Paul says here to Timothy in chapter 1 and beginning in verse 5. Now the end of the commandment or the very purpose of the law of God is love. Now let's stop there for a moment. Someone asked Jesus one day, what is the greatest out of all God's commandments and laws? And you know what Jesus said, love. He said, matter of fact, you can summarize all of God's commandments in two things. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And we agree with that. Well, you know, isn't it amazing how we can twist the Word of God? And even the best Christians sometimes can be deceived. So did he mean there that the main thing we're to do is just love this world? And, and by the way, in this warfare, I meant to say this a while ago when I quoted Ephesians 6.12, where God reminded us that it's not flesh and blood that we're battling against. And, and we say this, and we've said this so often, we're to hate sin. Do you agree with that? Do you believe that we're to hate sin? God hates sin, doesn't he? But we're to love what? The sinner. Now that's so easy to say, isn't it? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. And we believe that, and we preach that, and we teach that. But boy, when it comes down to putting that to practice, it's not always easy, is it? Because it's hard to separate the sin from the sinner. And by the way, it doesn't matter how hard you try to do that in this world. The world's not going to look at If you condemn the sin, you're condemning the sinner, and you're a bigot, and you're judging, and you're self-righteous, and on and on we go. But in our hearts, we strive to, defend, to, to distinguish between, the, we, we love the sinner, we want to help the sinner. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the sinner. He's condemned already. I came to save the sinner. But we hate the sin. Now, we're compromising the truth of God when we say, oh, well, we just love them no matter how they live or what they do. Now, look at that verse again. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now, yes, the end or the purpose of the law of God is love, but it's love out of what? A pure heart. It's love out of a good conscience. It's love out of a genuine faith. So you don't compromise the truth of God. You don't compromise holiness. 
As a matter of fact, if you don't give somebody the truth, you don't really love them, amen? If you truly love someone, the first thing you're going to do is be honest with them and give them the truth. Now, with that in mind, notice what he says now in verse 9, beginning with verse 9. Knowing this, hopefully we know this this morning, verse 9, that the law is not made for a righteous man, let's just say a saved person, for example, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, for profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers. What is he saying? How do we know these things are wrong? Because God's law teaches us. You see, God's law is like a mirror, the Bible says. It shows us God's holiness. It shows us our sin, doesn't it? It shows us how holy, a holy, righteous God gave these commandments and these laws. And by the way, it's amazing how many of the Ten Commandments are referred to directly or indirectly in just in this short list of sins here. How would we know these things are wrong? Because God said so. Okay? And then verse 10, For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, that's the homosexual issue, men stealers, my goodness, there's such a, cancer today of, of children and girls been kidnapped and put into slavery and so forth. And by the way, you know what I mentioned maybe in Sunday school, we're not dealing with one issue in our world today that has not been dealt with back through every generation. Now, in some of these things, we may be dealing with them in our country to a far greater degree than we have in the past, but there's nothing new. Same old sins. And he says, Men stealers, liars, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing, anything that's contrary to the truth of God, it's disobedience, it's sin. And you know what? Hey, so God's law is like an x-ray machine. God's law is like a cat scheme. God's law is like the MRI. God's law it cuts us apart. And, and James says it's like a mirror. And we look into the Word of God, and all of a sudden... The law, the truth of God exposes us for what we really are. That's why our old sin nature hates the Word of God and despises the Word of God because the truth of God shows the truth about God and the truth about ourselves. Are you with me this morning? The truth of God gives the right diagnosis. Now, isn't it sad? And it is sad sometimes that Someone will go to the doctor, the right diagnosis is made, and the doctor, unfortunately, has to look at you and say, here's the diagnosis, we're 100% sure it's correct, and here's what your problem is, and there's nothing we can do. You're eat up with cancer from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. I'm sorry, but you have, your heart muscle is just completely destroyed almost, and there's absolutely nothing we can do from a human perspective. That's the diagnosis, but there's no remedy. There's no cure. That's sad, isn't it? But you know what? That's a reality many times, isn't it? That's reality, physically speaking, humanly speaking, in this life. Now, if it's just the law of God, boy, our goose is cooked, amen, because we're sinners. Paul in the book of Romans says, for all have sinned. 
that the whole purpose of the law of God is that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Now, what is our responsibility as a church and individually as Christians is to take the truth of God and expose sin. What's right and wrong from God's perspective, amen? Now, that's good preaching, but it's hard practicing sometimes, isn't it? It really is. But if we truly love the Lord and love people, we'll try to give the right diagnosis the best we can. But speak the truth in what? Love. Love. Now, okay, there's the diagnosis. What's the cure? All right. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, Paul goes, I'm glad he didn't just stop there. He goes on and he says in verse 11, now all this is according to the glorious what? Gospel. <laughs> the glorious gospel or good news of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now the doctor comes out and says, oh, hey, I've got some good news, Frank. We just did some tests and you've got a heart issue. Well, you mean, doc, that's good news. Well, the good news is we found it out and we helped you find it out in time. We can do something about it. Oh, well, I guess that is good news. What are we going to do about it? Well, we got this medicine here you can take, or we got this procedure we can do. And if you'll allow us to do it, we can take care of your problem. Isn't that something? You know, that's exactly what happened to me. I was told, and they, I said, oh, my goodness, I may have a little problem here, but I don't need that procedure that bad. And the doctor, who's a born-again Christian, looked at me and grinned and said, he said, I didn't say, he said, I can read your mind. You're sitting there thinking, Oh, come on, my, it's, my problem is not that serious. And he said, it's not, but it's going to get that serious. And you're like every other person. You're going to wait till the car stops right in the middle of the highway before you take it to the mechanic and get it worked on. So, well, maybe this guy's making sense, okay? So you know what? Even having the diagnosis is good news if God can help you see you have a need. Are you with me this morning? And Paul says, hey, that's the purpose of the law of God, the truth of God. And he says, it's all according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he hath put, counting me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now watch verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world for what purpose? To save what? Sinners. Sinners. But you know what? You've got to be convinced you're a sinner before you see your need of a Savior. And that's the purpose of the law of God. That's the purpose of the truth of God, to reveal God's holiness and your sin. And Paul, in another epistle, said the law is like a schoolmaster. It points you to the one that can help you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Someone said you look into the mirror, you see egg on your face. But you don't take the mirror off the wall to wash your face with. It points you to the soap and the water. And the law of God gives the right diagnosis. I'm a sinner. I need help. Where can I turn? Is there a cure? Is there a remedy? And Paul says, yes, glory to God. There's the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of glory, the story of Jesus leaving the ivory palace of heaven, coming down here and going to the cross of Calvary 
and dying for your sins and dying for my sin, being buried and risen again. And all the answer is found in Jesus. Folk, listen. When we say the answer to man's problems today is Jesus Christ, do we realize how true we are? Amen. It's the gospel that this world needs to hear. Yes, they need the law of God. They need the right diagnosis. But they need the cure. And the cure is the only Jesus. Only Jesus can save a man from the penalty of sin, from the pollution of sin, and one day, hallelujah, from the very presence of sin. Amen. Now I want you to see a third thing here real quick, and that's the beautiful results. The beautiful results. The diagnosis is made. The cure is accepted. Now watch what happens. Look what Paul said. And there's so much here. Look what Paul says in verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He says, talk about himself now. Now, don't miss this point this morning. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Who was, and what's the next word? Before. Before. Now, I've tried to use the physical realm as an illustration. A person's dies, they, they have some kind of symptoms, and there's something wrong with mankind today. What's wrong with mankind? Man ha- so he goes, has the diagnosis done, and the problem's revealed. And then a cure is available. And you know what? Sometimes there's a beautiful result physically. Sometimes a person passes away. But sometimes, man, the heart condition's taken care of and it's like, man, they're like a new person. You know? The cancer's taken care of and God heals them. And boy, what a beautiful result. Now look what Paul said here. Before my sin was diagnosed, before I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, before I became a born a Christian, I was one kind of person. I was a blasphemer. Now, Paul didn't mean he used God's name in vain, cursing and things like that, but he was a blasphemer in ignorance because he was a persecutor of Christians and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and he named the kind of life. I was injurious. I was a persecutor. But he said, now, guess what? I'm a minister of the gospel that I used to try to get rid of. And he mentioned this in other writings and so forth. In other words, he was a changed person after coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Are you with me? Now, let me point you to a couple of other passages of scriptures real quick. You're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Now, the message today is let's cling to the truth. Amen. That's our whole purpose as a church, as individuals. We're pillars and grounds of the truth of God. And the diagnosis is the law of God. Man's a sinner. And the only cure for man is Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And the result ought to be Change lives, amen. The, 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 the proof, the proof of the power of the gospel today is change lives, amen. Paul said, listen, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and I was never the same, amen. He didn't just go on being the same person, living the same life, doing the same things that he used to do. There was a change. Look at Titus chapter 3. In Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, 
He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work. How many of you think we born-again Christians ought to be good citizens and obey the laws of the land and so forth? Do you believe that? Sure. Unless, un- the only exception is, is when our those in authority ask us to do something that we are absolutely sure is contrary to the Word of God. Then we have to decide who we're going to obey. So you choose to obey God and suffer the consequences. Amen? But otherwise, we're to submit to authority. Now watch for Titus chapter 3, verse 2. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Now watch verse 3. For even we ourselves, even we ourselves also, we were sometimes foolish and disobedient and deceived and serving all kinds of lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what we were, but now all of a sudden, verse 4, but, after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing the Holy Spirit, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that been justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then He goes on to talk about how we need to be maintain good works. So what's He teaching there? Hey, once you meet Jesus Christ, and you experience the grace of God and the power of the gospel, you're never the same. Amen? Now go back with me to another passage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And folks, we've got the message this world needs today. And the problem is, many, many of us, and I'll include myself, and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and many churches, many churches, unfortunately, instead of stepping up, and confronting our society, our post-Christian society, with the truth, and the only truth that's going to help, we're backing down. We're backing down. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and by the way, we've got an explosion of sin today as a result of the sexual revolution pornography, social media. I mean, we are dealing with so many issues today. It is just mind-boggling, mind-boggling. And it's nothing new. Man, you go back and study the Greek and, and Corinth and Ephesians and Rome and you imagine the situations that these early Christians had to deal with. But they realized, you know what? They didn't cave in. They didn't say, oh, well, what will be, will be. They said, man, we've got the truth of God. We've got a message here that will change people's hearts and change people's lives, and it's the only message, the only cure, the only remedy. And look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? What's that mean? People who are living habitual lifestyles of wickedness and sin are not going to heaven, folks. You can twist that any way you want to. Now, can true born-again Christians sin? Absolutely. And God's going to take you to the woodshed, amen? But if people can go out here and live in sin day in, day out, and it not bother them, and God's not chastening them, something's wrong. 
something's wrong. Amen. He said, listen, know ye not, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not what? Deceived. <laughs> what he's leading up to is be delivered. Amen. Don't be deceived. Be delivered. Be not deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. And by the way, what does idolaters have to do? If you've ever studied that the prostitution and all the sin that was associated with idolatry in Paul's day, it's kind of like the day. Long as you love Jesus, you can live any lifestyle you want to, amen. Just stick a I love Jesus bumper sticker on my car. You can shack up with anybody you want to. Show up for church every now and then on Sunday morning. Live like God. By the way, it's all love. It's all love. It's all love. It's all love. Well, we're living in the age of deception, are we not? Living in the age of deception. Be not deceived, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, that's the lesbian, the homosexual, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, same thing. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, even a born-again Christian can lapse into sin. He's talking about people who are given to certain lifestyles here. And not just given to them, but promoting them and excusing them, even in the name of Christianity and God. Paul says, don't let the devil deceive you. These people are not born-again Christians, and they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch verse 13. Oh, watch verse 13. And such were some of what? Huh? You. And such, W-E-R-E. Now, I think that's supposed to be pronounced where. I usually say were, but it's where. That's like Paul saying, before I met Jesus, I was one way. After I met Jesus, I was another way. Amen? He says, some, some of you live these kind of lifestyles. But verse 11, but now ye are washed, ye are sanctified, and you're justified. How did that happen? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Holy Spirit of our God. You got saved. <laughs> you got born again, amen. You got born again, and guess what? He not only delivered you from the penalty of sin, which is hell, but He's delivering you from those wicked, evil lifestyles, whether it's lying, cheating, bitterness, whatever the sin may be, adultery, homosexuality, the grace of God, the glorious gospel, the glorious grace of God can deliver you from that through Jesus Christ and the new birth. Now, there are so many scriptures we could go to. What am I simply saying? You know why God's left us here as Christians and as a church to be salt, to be light? And so we're in a situation where we ask ourselves, how can we lovingly and kindly and gently and compassionately love the sinner and hate the sin all the issues that we're dealing with as a society. Do we just sit around and be quiet? Do we stay within the four walls of our church? Or do we step out and confront the society we live in and say, folk, listen, here's the diagnosis. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's hope. <laughs> There's hope. There's an answer, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. Will everybody accept it? Absolutely not. But some will. And so the only hope for the sinner today, the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what a beautiful result. What a beautiful result when folk truly trust Christ as Savior. And are born. Now, we're going to struggle with sin till we get to heaven. We understand what Paul's dealing with here. People who are just committing to sin and wickedness, things that the Word of God forbids. And, and, and their consciences, it doesn't bother them and so forth. Paul says, be not deceived. Something's wrong. Now, I'm finding out as a pastor, it was much easier when I started preaching 40, 50 years ago than it is today, amen, outside the church and even inside the church to confront sin and take a stand for what's right and godly and holy. So Paul's charge to Timothy was, Timothy, hey, Stay true, amen. Cling to the Word of God. Cling to the truth of God, amen. That's your very purpose for existence. And don't be swayed or swerved and make shipwreck along the way. Many churches are abandoning the Bible today. Oh, they're not abandoning the good things that everybody wants to hear. Many Christians, many homes, many individuals. And boy, we're challenged today. Hey, cling to the truth. Stick to the truth. Empower the gospel of Jesus Christ to save from the penalty of sin. Thank God the pollution of sin. And one day, hallelujah, the very presence of sin. We'll go home to heaven. Do you agree with that today? Amen. It's the truth of God. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe the Spirit of God spoken to your heart. And helped you to realize that you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only cure. Our Father, I pray today that the Holy Spirit, Lord, use this to help me and help every one of us. And God, I don't know if there would happen to be someone in this building today who is unsaved. Help them to see their need. And God, we're, we're thankful that you're a loving, compassionate God to even show us our needs. And then, Lord, help that one to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus. And trust the blood of Jesus to wash their sins away. And the power of your grace to change their lives. And help them to live holy and godly. Father, speak to our hearts today. And help us to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you stand at your feet with me this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, Christians are praying. I'm going to ask our pianist just to play a verse or two. I appreciate your patience, appreciate you listening. I wonder if there's somebody here today and you say, Pastor Hall, I've never been born again, I've never been saved. And I just need to lose my old pride, acknowledge I'm a sinner, come to Jesus with a repentant heart. I just need to be washed in the blood, all these terms and phrases you use. I just need to come to Jesus and ask Jesus to forgive me my sin. I don't understand it all, but I believe He died on that cross for me, was buried and rose again, and He's a living Savior. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I see my need. Jesus is the only cure. And oh, what a beautiful result. What a difference. 
the glorious gospel and the grace that God can make in my life. Come to Jesus today. And dear Christian, would you join me as a brother in Christ and say, Lord, in these days in which we're living, give us wisdom, give us compassion and love. God, give us some Holy Spirit wrought convictions. Help us to cling to the truth. Cling to the only thing that's going to help our neighbors, our community, and our nation is the truth of God. The truth of God. Cling to the truth in these times in which we're living. If we can help you, would you come right now? If there's some burden on your heart you'd like for someone to pray with you about, share your heart. You come right now. Let someone pray with you and help you. You come if we can help you. Ask the pianist to finish this verse, and that'll be all. Isn't it great to know the Lord? And where would we be this morning? But for the long suffering, patience, and the mercy of God.